Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to today's episodes. We'll be having two episodes with Emmaus Holder. Emmaus Holder is a student at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where he is a Moorhead Kane scholar. At UNC, he is a sociology major and a music minor. He is an alumni and mentor of the program known as HYPE, or Helping Yourself with Pride Through Education which is a step team focused on academic achievement, community engagement, mentorship, and competitive dance. He is the oldest sibling of five, including two boys with FASD who were adopted four years ago. Emmaus is currently planning a research project for the summer titled FASD Across America, which is a cross-country bike trip on which he will be interviewing caretakers of people with FASD to tell their stories, and to understand ways in which the FASD community can be aided more effectively. Part one of today's conversation with Emmaus is about his journey and being an older sibling of two younger brothers with FASD. Part two of today's episode is about Emmaus's summer project, FASD Across America. Hey, everybody. So I am beyond excited to be talking to today's guest. He, to me, is just an amazing young man. He not only has an amazing family and an amazing story uh, behind his family, but he also has done uh, quite a few things in his, his young life that I totally respect and admire. So I'm talking with Emmaus Holder. And he is a um, student at UNC Chapel Hill. Emmaus is also embarking on this amazing journey this week called FASD Across America, where he is biking across America. Um, And we are supporting him a thousand percent. And uh, you'll be seeing us uh, posting updates on our socials. And Emmaus is also going to talk to us today about just being the older sibling of two brothers that have an FASD. And on a personal note, as a mom of a daughter who does not have FASD, I'm really interested just to hear Emmaus's feedback and his advice for um, parents and siblings of, of kids with FASD. So with that really long introduction, Emmaus Holder, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I got in touch with, actually, Emmaus reached out to me last month. I think he was still um, away on his um, journey, which he'll share about in a little bit. But Emmaus shared with me his his story and what he was doing. And of course, like, you know, we Zoomed and, and I just wanted to hear everything. But before we start talking, I just have to ask you, dude, you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. We did. How was that? I mean, like I saw that post on your Insta and I just like, it was like a vicarious, like, oh my gosh, you you did that. Right. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Um, I went with a few of my friends from school um, and a few of their friends. uh, And it was just an amazing experience um, getting to see such a beautiful place. And 
uh, especially during the pandemic, it's just been hard to actually connect with people and see things outside of my bedroom. Um, <laughs> but it was it was pretty spectacular. Um, just being able to go climb a mountain um, during a yeah. pandemic. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but not just a mountain, the the, the right. tallest mountain on the continent of Africa. That was just right. And how long did it take you guys to do that? Uh, it took about uh, the whole trip was seven days. Um, wow. It was about uh, four and a half days going up, which the longest part of it is the altitude acclimation. So you right. go up and then you Wait. sleep low, you go up and then you sleep low again. Wow. Uh, and then it took like a day and a half to get back down. So you go back wow. down so much faster. Um, but yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Let's talk about your amazing family because your family, I think, you know, has a very unique journey. And I'm I'm just really happy that you're talking to me today about um how your family's journey and especially with foster care. Um, we're releasing this in May. May, of course, is foster care awareness month. Let's just talk a little bit about your family and your family's journey. Yeah, I would say our uh, journey in adoption started with my younger sister, actually. So my sister is now eight years old and um, a little bit before she was born, about six months before she was born, my parents came to this decision that they felt called to adopt and they were looking to adopt a newborn, a newborn um, from a family in need and my sister came along uh, and her birth parents chose our family from however many they had. Um, and we met them, we took Mia and she's, she's amazing. And uh, our family has been a little bit spoiled with that experience because um, <laughs> she's a perfectly developing kid and she's an absolute light in our family. Um, and so she, she came to our family and she's been in here since she was born she's spoiled. She's our little princess. And so having that experience and her having been here for a few years, my parents uh, were in a situation where we had resources to adopt um, again. And we were looking into adopting younger children, not, not a newborn this time. Um, and through, through the foster care system, which is where we had been looking through these things, we found this family of a few kids and uh, well, a foster family of a few kids, and um, these these two boys just stood out to my parents as uh, as people who needed needed to be cared for, um, and went through a long process of um, foster care with them for about six to eight months while we were working on paperwork. Um, we had always had the intention of adopting them, and um, there 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 were difficulties throughout the entire adoption process. Um, as, as we can talk about as we get further on into this. Um, but they, they became a part of our family four years ago and it was completely different than Mia, my, Mia Moore, my younger sister. Um, but it was a beautiful experience and um, very life-changing. So now four years later, we're a family of seven with five, five kids. I have one other biological brother um, who's 15. Um, so it's me, 19, my brother, uh, Josiah, 15, uh, Quadrell, who's 14, Malik, who's 13, and then Mia Moore, who is eight. So yeah, that's, that's how we got into um, such a big family. <laughs> so first of all, you and your brother, when your parents adopted Mia and then your, your little brothers, how was it for you guys 
adjusting to having them come home, having them, you know, um, just bond and be a part of your family. How was it for you guys? I think a lot of it was just, um, there was a lot of novelty in the experience and there was a lot of excitement and um, nervousness as to what was to come. And so I think given that me and my brother were very open with the whole thing the first time and then again, second time, um, I think it was more uh, a bit of giddy anticipation as to what life would be like in the future. Um, and I think that um, honestly, there, there have been hard times that part of, part of that anticipation was expecting, but I think in general, it was just opening our arms in a way that was beautiful. And I think that was really cool. And I, my brother as well, I think he had a great experience with it as well. That's great. So at what point in your brother's adoption, did you guys learn that they had an FASD? Yeah. So um, my mom being an OBGYN uh, has seen and dealt with some uh, FASD on, at some level before we had adopted them. And um, the older of the two, he he has what is called the FASD face. And so my mom, having known that, um, recognized it. They Neither of them had been diagnosed with anything. Um, but in the process of adopting, we were very aware of the fact that there was likely alcohol exposure. And so there was more research by my parents, by my mom in the medical field after that. Uh, but it was a pretty immediate recognition of it, uh, which was helpful for some things in getting help. Um, but that's, that's basically how we came to know that they had FASD. And that is pretty amazing because today we still hear from some OBGYNs who say it's okay to have alcohol during pregnancy, which we know the CDC and so many other organizations say no alcohol is safe during pregnancy. The other thing that's amazing too, is that a very small percentage of those kids that have fetal alcohol exposure have the face facial characteristics. So the fact that your one brother had those and your mom was able to identify them, that was in his favor for earlier diagnosis. Um, Because unfortunately, you know, the majority of the kids that have and FASD don't have any of those facial diagnoses. So that's incredible that your mom was able to identify that. So then at what point, when did they start getting, um, you know, diagnosed and, and interventions and, and things like that? So it was, um, I don't remember this perfectly well, but um, it was pretty soon after that, that we were able to get uh, some kind of a diagnosis. And then I don't think very much of the aid came until we started struggling with some of the behaviors associated with it. And so I would say that the diagnosis was fairly simple with my mom's knowledge about it and with, especially in Quadi's case, the, the very clear characteristics. But I would say that a lot of the aid didn't start coming again until after the behavioral issues came about um, and we needed to respond to those. And we know what we see is behavioral symptoms are symptoms from the brain damage, you know, from being exposed. What were some of the problematic symptoms that you were, you guys were experiencing as a family, as a result of, of your brother's exposure to alcohol? Right. Um, with the, the two of them, uh, exhibited different symptoms, different behavioral, uh, things. They both 
have this tendency to build up um, in anger and frustration very quickly. They amp themselves up um, and we call it blowing up. Um, but basically with in Quadrell's case, he, um, when he disagrees with something, doesn't understand something or just doesn't want to do something, he will explode. Um, there's a lot of yelling and screaming. He will make threats of violence sometimes, um, but Quadrell is a runner and so he runs. With Malik, it's been more uh, about his accusations of abuse and his threats of violence, much of which is never acted upon because he has such high anxiety. And so he also has this riling up, this yelling and screaming. But there have been there have been some situations with both of them where violence has happened because they are so far gone mentally that they are unable to control it. It's not as though they are intentionally trying to hurt you, but in that heightened state where they have no control over what they're doing, it's more fight or flight that's taking over. They they can cause harm in ways that are not good. And we know what you're sharing with us, Amaius. We know that that is from the damage of the prenatal alcohol exposure and the ability to regulate, you know, the ability to regulate emotions, which, you know, left untreated and unaccommodated leads to secondary, you know, symptoms and secondary um, conditions. So having, you know, your parents being so FASD informed is really, really helpful because, and especially I know with your, your brother's age, you know, 13, 14, you know, just fasten your seatbelts because then that's, you know, it's usually like that's when things kick in hormonally. So it even exacerbates things. But the, the fact that you're just sharing this with me as a big brother, you recognize this and you guys are like working to make accommodations and working for interventions and things like that. You know, that's very hopeful. And I hope, you know, families who are hearing this out there hear that you guys are in the trenches, you know, you guys are, you guys are in the trenches just as much as, you know, any of the rest of us. And the fact that you are, you know, you want to shine a light on FASD and that you want to bring awareness and, you know, share not only your family story, but hear other stories. That to me is just, it just gives me hope. It, it really does. So let's talk about your perspective of being a big brother. You know, you have your biological brother, you have your sister, and then you have your your two brothers that have an FASD. What are some perspectives that you can share for either other siblings or for parents like me? Just some things that are helpful in that, you know, navigating this whole having typically developing kids and having kids that have an FASD or, or another brain-based diagnosis. What are some words of advice that you can give us? Yeah, I would say that um, especially when you're not the primary caregiver, when you're anyone around that, that the best thing that you can do is encourage them in what they are doing well because they hear so much about how much they're doing things wrong and how incapable they are of feeling the right things or knowing how to understand things. And so when you see them doing the right thing, when you see them making positive impacts on everything around them, just being, being a light in any way, big or small, doing a good job washing the dishes, uh, doing an amazing drawing that'll go on the fridge, um, 
any of that, just slight words of encouragement here and there can change their psyche in such amazing ways. And so my, my best piece of advice is to always be encouraging, always be uplifting and understand that it is not your job to tell them that they are the one that is wrong because that is up to the primary caregiver and that is up to the mom and dad because you don't want them to see you as the one who is giving them these negative things, giving them these things that they need to grow with because that should be coming from a primary source, normally the father and mother, normally the primary caregiver, given that they have this concentrated place of support and love. Um, it can be such a big, such a big difference for these kids. And again, this is such wonderful advice because it goes along with what we really believe in with FASD hope is that we really try to focus on the strengths of somebody, you know, and, and the world often sees all of the negatives and as a sibling, as a family, it's our job to, to focus, yes, support those needs and accommodate those needs, but to focus on, on the strengths and what they're good at, because you're exactly right. So often they need to hear that, you know, so much of, I think the expression is catch them while they're doing good, you know, catch them while they're doing something good, because that is, is really um, just so important. So I'm, I'm so glad you're sharing this. What other perspectives can you share just as a big brother of younger brothers with FASD? What are some things that are helpful for us parents and other siblings to know um, along your journey, things that you've learned? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest helps for me is is having people that will listen uh, to what I'm struggling with, how I am just hurting from these things because oftentimes when there is chaos in the house, when there are things that I am unable to help with, it's really hard for me. Um, and so having close friends, having people that I have met in the past just to listen to me um, has been really valuable as, as well as having conversations with uh, professionals, with therapists who understand what's going on um, and, and people that are not judging you in a way that is harmful. And so just having people that will listen is such an important thing. And again, we have to think as parents, we have to remember not only do we, are we, you know, addressing the trauma and the dysregulation of the child that has an FASD, but we also need to address the impact and, and the trauma of being you know, a sibling of someone that has an FASD, because there is, there is trauma that comes along with it. Again, it's our jobs as primary caregivers, as parents and, and caregivers to recognize that. And like you said, so eloquently providing support, having friends that you can go to just acknowledging that, you know, you have that need to, to share those feelings and, and um, those experiences with other people. So I, I really appreciate that. So I like to end our conversations on um, hope. So we're doing this interview in two parts. This is the first part talking about being a, a sibling of um, someone with an FASD. In the four years that you learned, you know, being a, a big brother of, of two younger brothers that have an FAST, what are some words of hope that you can give to parents to help so we can better support 
siblings in families of, of kids that have FASD? I would, I would say one of my biggest words of hope, one of my biggest um, words of encouragement is, is this. Those, those boys, my siblings, my brothers, they, they are broken. And one of, one of my biggest learning points from this is that just as they are broken, it's the same as us being broken. And so having a relationship with broken people and being able to find common ground, being able to reconcile the things that are being done, um, it puts into perspective my own life and how I should be caring for other people. And so my biggest word of encouragement and hope is that just because they're broken, that does not make them any less. And so in the same way, just because anyone else is broken doesn't make you any less. Um, and so I feel like that has been a big, big piece of encouragement for me in what I've seen in that um, the way that I've learned how unconditional love has to be uh, in order for these things to get better. Um, and I think that's really both very difficult and also very powerful and very, again, hopeful for things to come. Wow. Just wow. I, that gives me so much hope. And I really hope and pray that parents and you know siblings who are listening know that connectivity is key and that I, I agree. We're all broken in different ways and the being able to connect with somebody else and, and to help them through this journey, because we know that this, this road is very long and bumpy and, and there's not a whole lot of breaks from it, but being able to walk alongside with someone and just be with them during this. I am very, very honored to know you, Emmaus, and I, um, I really appreciate your feedback we are going to end part one of this conversation with Emmaus Holder, and we will catch you in a few minutes. Thank you for joining me, Emmaus. Thank you so much for having me. So welcome back. This is part two of our conversation with Emmaus Holder. Emmaus uh, shared his family's journey, his perspective about being an older sibling of two younger brothers that have an FASD. And he just shared some great words of wisdom and perspective uh, for parents and for siblings out there. So this part is, I think, the action adventure part of this episode, because now we get to talk about Emmaus's amazing project, which is called FASD Across America. And if you did not hear me mention in the last episode, Emmaus has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro uh, during a pandemic, which is just blows my mind. And um, so the fact that he is undertaking this amazing basically riding his bike across America to increase awareness of FASD. Now, I mean, to me, I've interviewed a lot of people this past year, and I have to say that's one of like the toughest, most, you know, amazing things that anybody could do for FASD advocacy. So Emmaus Holder, welcome back to FASD Hope. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about your inspiration behind FASD across America. Yeah. So I am a very avid cyclist. I do some triathlons uh, and 
a lot of long distance just activity. I run, I bike. Um, and so I've been thinking about um, doing several bike trips just over the past few years and thinking about the best way to put a purpose behind that. Uh, and having FASD in my family and knowing the struggles that it takes, um, I thought it would be a really cool idea to talk to people about FASD on a bike trip. Um, and I thought that would be a really, really cool idea. It would put purpose behind what I'm doing and it would just be a really, I think, unique way of just talking about FASD. So, yeah. Just to recap, as a mom of a young adult who has an FASD, however, I'm a mom nonetheless, what did your parents say when you first told me you wanted to do this? <laughs> they were um, they were a bit skeptical. Um, they wanted to make sure that I had all my ducks in a row before I left. And so I've had to do several extensive safety plans, both for their sake and for funding's sake. But yeah. I think I think now they're coming to terms with the fact that it it'll probably be okay. <laughs> it will. It will. And that's why we're releasing this episode the week that you launch so that yeah. we can have our listeners be on the lookout, be on the listen, update. If anybody is along your path that, that they can reach out to you and say, Hey MS, do you need a place to crash or anything? Kind of like what we're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh just to support you because this is so much, especially this year, this year we are trying to get the, the FASD respect act, which is national legislation passed. And, and during this bike trip, you know, hopefully as you are moving forward, our legislation will be moving forward too. So I think this is an amazing opportunity for you to bring attention to FASD. So tell me about some of the States you'll be traveling to. Yeah, so I'm starting in North Carolina, which is where I live. I'm going to be starting in Topsail because I'm going to be going coast to coast. Um, and so starting in Topsail, going back to my home in Pittsburgh, going down um, basically west, west through North Carolina and then up through the corner of Tennessee to Kentucky. Um, I'm going to be in the Kentucky, Cincinnati, Indianapolis area for a little bit. And then I'm going to be going west across Iowa and Nebraska. Then down to Colorado, I'm going to be in the Boulder area for a little bit and then down through there a little bit up to Utah and then down all the way through Utah to the Grand Canyon and then over to LA. Yeah. So we'll be posting the map of Emmaus's journey, but that's amazing. Now, how long are you anticipating on, on this trip being? Yeah. So I am thinking it will take me about two months. Um, the biking, it's about 4,000 miles. It's just under 4,000 miles. And I'm hoping to go a little bit over 100 miles a day. Um, but I'm also planning to make a few uh, considerable stops when I'm talking to people and having these conversations. Um, so I'm thinking it'll take about two months, 50 to 60 days. And some of the families that you want to meet up with who um, are families of, of kids or young adults or teens that have an FASD, what are some of the things that you want to learn from them? Because I understand the way you explain this to me is not only is this a physical bike trip journey, but you, you're doing some research along the way. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So my, my conversational part of this trip is uh, threefold. One, I want to hear people's stories and tell people's stories so that people understand what people are going through when they're taking care of these kids, because it's such a hard thing to do and it's such a big task. Two, um, I, want, I want to raise awareness for FASD. So I want 
this to be a story of just what FASD is for a lot of people as well. And so that's another big part of it. Um, and then three, the research part of it is in my conversations with these people, I will, I will also be uh, conducting research as to what people suggest for improvements in the infrastructure surrounding FASD. So the, the businesses, the um, communities, the just national and state legal systems that are taking care of all of these things, uh, how they can be better and how we can improve taking care of these kids. And so um, I plan to put together a research paper for that um, and then hopefully publish it in a few uh, influential places. That is awesome. And you know, when all this is done, before you go back to school in the fall, I'll have you back on so you can tell us some of the things you learned. Because I really, I imagine you're just going to have so many stories and, and so many things to share with us. So that that's just incredible. So what are your biggest goals besides conducting, you know, your research and, and talking to families and obviously making it from one coast to the other. What are some goals that you have with FASD across America? Uh, my goals for this trip are oriented around people, mostly. Um, it's also just getting across the country, like you said. That's one of the primary aspects of this. But um, my goals for this trip are people. Um, and so I want to meet people. I want to talk with as many people as I can about FASD and just in general to understand their perspectives on all kinds of different things. I want my understanding of the way that this country is in general just to be more based in how people all over the country are and not just my preconceived ideas of them. And I know I'm not going to get a good grasp of the entire country in a straight line on a bike, but um, just being able to talk to people in as many places as possible is a good way of understanding what they're thinking about, what they're going through, and um, just how I can shape my own perspectives. That is just so incredible. So how can people follow you and support you during this bike tour, during your project FASD Across America? So I will be posting on my personal social media page with a lot of pictures um, and possibly videos of the things that I'm doing, things that I'm talking about, where I am. Um, I will also be getting some uh, publicity possibly throughout the trip um, with certain news sites and hopefully we'll get some articles published that way. Um, after my trip, I plan to publish some articles in uh, newsletters and newspapers that um, about my trip and about uh, basically the gist of my research. And then later on down the line, I likely won't finish the research component of this for a little while. I will have that published in places that I can make a difference. But yeah, that'll be a little bit later on. And of course, we at FASD Hope, we will be providing updates and pictures and um, Emmaus's social media handles so that if you want to get in touch with Emmaus or if you want to say, hey, I can support you, you know, I'd love to buy you a meal or something like that. Or, hey, I know a safe place for you to stay. Because again, I the mama bear in me is like, oh my gosh, you need a place to stay every place you're going. 
<laughs> and 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 for those of you like I just that's me I'm just like okay this kid has to have a safe place every <laughs> every place that he's going to so I apologize but so yes if you want to support Emmaus or you know keep tabs on where he's going um you can not only follow him on his social media handles which we will share in today's program notes but um you can also uh, go to fasthope.com and uh, or you can go to our social media um, pages and we will be providing regular updates. I hope hopefully we can provide at least weekly updates. I think that would be really cool. So we will we will be doing that. One thing. OK, so you're going like in the summer, like in crazy how uh, crazy weather, you know, just thinking of like tornadoes and just everything. Did your parents like totally make you <laughs> make a plan for like, okay, in case this happens, you're going to do this and that kind of thing? Or am I just being a neurotic mom? <laughs> so, um, they, they have asked me to be prepared for things. Okay. Uh, part of my funding is coming from uh, my scholarship program. Um, cool. And so through that, they're having me put together a very, very detailed safety plan. And awesome. So okay. That'll be very thorough. Um, <laughs> And I'm currently in review for that right now. But awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So all you mama bears out there, just like me, we're okay. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we, I'm, I'm good with that. First of all, thank you for doing this, Emmaus. This is just amazing, you know, especially now. Okay. First of all, we're in year two of a pandemic, you know, we're, we're just starting to come out of a pandemic or still in it, but, you know, hopefully you know, starting to come out of it. You are, this is, you know, a let, we're trying to get this amazing, important FASD national legislation passed this year, um, which this, this is just amazing publicity. And the fact that you just, you've taken what you've learned from your family and in your family's journey, and you're using this as advocacy in a huge way, not just, you're not just biking across the state, you're biking across the continental U.S. For that, I just want to say on behalf of anyone who's listening, thank you, because that really is shining a light on FASD. So thank you. And, and again, just the the very short time I've known you, you don't take the easy way out. So (laughs) that to me, just, you're just, you're fierce. And I am, FASD needs more fierce advocates on our team. So, so thank you for doing that. I like to end our episodes on a hope takeaway. So now we're talking about your FASD across America bike tour slash research slash everything. Um, for all of us listening and, and still kind of in awe of what you're doing, um, what words of hope can you give us? especially those families um, that have been impacted by NFASD. Yeah. So I think in a way that's more related to my bike trip, um, you're not doing this by yourself. Like we are all doing this together. We are taking care of all of these people that need help that have FASDs. And so what I want to do with this trip is I want to share with people the fact that people are making an effort to make a difference with these kids. People are making an effort to help them and your efforts in taking care of them are appreciated and just, it's amazing what you're able to do. And so um, just with this bike trip, if you take away one thing that it's, you're not taking care, you're not taking care of these kids alone. You're not doing this by yourself. And um, 
I'm I'm taking it a bit extreme here to show you the efforts I'm willing to go to to just meet with you people, um, which I didn't necessarily need to bike, but I think it's a good a good metaphor for how how much work goes into these things and how much our community is together basically. And so I think it's it's good to remember that um, even though sometimes you feel stuck, you're not doing this by yourself. Um, that we're all here to help each other and to make a difference for all of these people that have FASDs. Let's keep getting updates about Emmaus and his journey, FASD Across America, which will begin, hopefully, if we're planning this right, will be beginning this week as, as this episode drops. So please, you can get Emmaus's social media handles on our program notes page, as well as you can get updates. And if you want to reach out to support Emmaus in this journey, or just, just, you know, say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Please. You can contact us at FASD hope um, info at FASD hope.com or Natalie at FASD hope.com. Or again, we will connect you with Emmaus through FASD hope. So Emmaus, thank you again for being on FASD hope. Thank you so much for having me. And we look forward to having you back in the fall before you start school so you can tell us all about your incredible journey. All right, everyone, take care. And remember, be that change. Be a part of that change. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.